Good morning. I'm Bryce Feitner, pastor at Green Street United Methodist Church in Hastings, Michigan. And welcome to our Sunday, May 17th podcast. My message today is called My Worst Prayer, and we're starting a series today on prayer, so I hope you'll stay with us for several weeks. The primary scripture reading that I'm going to use to start this message is from Psalm 35, verses 11 through 14. And I'm going to read it from the Message Bible today. Hear now the word of God. Hostile accusers appear out of nowhere. They stand up and badger me. They pay me back misery for mercy, leaving my soul empty. When they were sick, I dressed in black. Instead of eating, I prayed. My prayers were like lead in my gut, like I'd lost my best friend, my brother. I paced, distraught as a motherless child, hunched and heavy-hearted. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Loving Father, who hears all of our prayers, Connect us now as a community of believers wherever we are so we might learn how to better connect with you through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. My worst prayer. Again, this is the first in a series of sermons based on your request. This is kind of a people's choice topic. Several of you sent in questions and things about prayer that you wanted me to address. So I'll try to do that over the next few weeks. But I I hope that this is more than just a a Q&A, more than just an intellectual exercise. I hope you will practice some of the principles that we learn and keep track of those things to share later on because I know you will be blessed as you practice prayer. I thought it was appropriate to start this series from well, from the beginning, when you don't know how to pray, when you haven't got a prayer, when you have a very bad attitude, even when you're angry at God. So that's where we will begin with my worst prayer. We've all been there, haven't we? Even King David, as we read in that scripture from Psalms, my prayers were like lead in my gut, like I lost my best friend. That verse and that entire psalm passage we read is one that is uh, attributed to David. And now generally we think of David as exhibiting incredible confidence. I mean, he was an incredible character. He, he is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. So how can you imagine David saying things he did in this passage? Can you imagine him feeling like he was even without a prayer? My prayers were like lead in my gut like I'd lost my best friend. Well, this passage that was written over 3,000 years ago is still just as appropriate for us today. It still expresses our feelings, our lamentations over God's seemingly lack of response to our prayers. Yeah, we all feel that way at times, don't we? I certainly have. Sometimes I still do, I'll be quite honest with you. Like my prayers were like lead in my gut. No wonder that David's prayers felt like that to him because he really didn't have a very good attitude. Well, let me share with you all a time when I didn't have a prayer. Like David, I didn't have a very good attitude. 
effect, it was pathetic. And let me also share the incredible result of that prayer, my worst prayer. First, I must give you a little background leading up to my worst prayer. Some years ago, I was a farmer. Many of you know that. In a former life, I, I primarily was in the hay and straw business. We bailed hay and straw all over the county and into the next county and shipped hay and straw all over the place. Now, I love to bale hay. I, I really did, as crazy as that sounds. I love to sweat and work hard and crawl into bed at night with no energy left and sleeping like a baby. I miss that. And I loved my hay balers. <laughs> I bought my first one when I was in high school. My wife, who, by the way, last week we celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary, but my wife, Eileen, says that she knew I was gonna marry her when I showed her my hay baler. <laughs> and uh, there's more truth in that than you realize. I took very good care of my hay balers, these things that I loved, these things that provided income for me. I'd wash them, I'd even wax them, and especially I would grease them. Some of you who have been farmers or have baled hay know that a baler has many moving parts and many places to grease. There are many, many, many grease cirques or grease fittings on a baler. And I greased my balers every day, each and every day per the manufacturer's recommendations. Maybe I was a bit neurotic in the way I cared for them, I'll admit that. Maybe a little neurotic, greasing them every day, but taking care of these balers that took care of me meant a lot to me, it was important to me. After high school and college, that hay business expanded. We bailed over the thousand acres of hay and straw at the peak, and we hauled it to various markets with semi-trucks and trailers, and a thousand acres is a lot of hay to bale. You probably know that. It's a lot different than growing a thousand acres of corn. And while we typically would grow mostly hay, we'd also grow 100 to 200 acres of wheat as part of a crop rotation sequence and for the straw because we also needed straw for our business. And we typically would grow red wheat. And you also may know in this area, most farmers grow white wheat. That's the prominent wheat. And the reason we grew red wheat was twofold. One of which is that red wheat matures earlier than white wheat, so you can harvest it earlier, and then subsequently you can bale the straw earlier, and we could get that done, and still perhaps have time to buy straw from other farmers who grew white wheat to add to the amount of straw we could purchase and bale and sell. So one summer, we had just, finishing, just finished up harvesting our red wheat, and we bailed just a small portion of that straw, kind of right behind the combine almost, and then it started to rain. And so we couldn't bail anymore, and it continued to rain. And as it continued to rain, day after day, night after night, it seemed like one of those 40-day and 40-night things, those testing periods in the Bible, like it rained before Noah's flood. It really was a test for me, even though it really only rained for a couple of weeks, but that was long enough. I prayed for it to stop, and the more I prayed, the more it rained, the more it rained, the angrier I got, and soon my prayers became complaints, and as it continued to rain, my complaints became more bitter. 
like David complaining about his enemies or his accusers as we read in that psalm. I was complaining about my enemy, the weather. And as it continued to rain, the straw became black. And as it continued to rain, the blackened straw rotted in the windrows such that it could no longer be baled at all. Now, the farmers who were growing white wheat that year were having a tough time too. Being a later maturing crop, it was still in the field when all this rain started and that mature wheat sprouted right in the heads because of that wet weather. And so they were subject to huge losses from the docking of the value of that wheat when it was gonna be harvested and sold. So after it rained for several weeks, to a little over two weeks, it finally stopped, such that those white wheat farmers could begin harvesting their crop. Now I should also tell you that we had this contract to fulfill to deliver a couple hundred tons of straw, and that contract was to be completed with just a, within a, just a few more days when the rain lifted and farmers started baling or combining white wheat. And it seemed obvious to me now that we would not be able to fulfill our contract because again, most of our own straw had rotted in the field and much of what I was concerned about was not just the loss of income from not being able to sell that straw, it was substantial, but also I was concerned about the, the penalties that the company who we had that contract with might assess, they were famous for that. So there were big financial concerns. So anyways, when the rains quit and the farmers began harvesting that sprouted wheat that had been selling for in that $4 a bushel range was now being sold for a dollar to $2 a bushel, depending on the dockage for the sprouting. One farmer who wanted to cut his losses came over to see us one early morning wanted to take in a little extra income. He didn't normally sell his straw, but because of the dockage and the loss, he said, but I gotta sell the straw to make something off these fields. And he came over and asked us if we wanted to bale the straw, if we wanted to buy it in the field. And it happened to be just around 100 acres of white wheat straw, enough to pretty much fill our contract. But now there's only three days left on our contract. <laughs> only three days left. So my brother and I talked about it quickly and we didn't know if we could physically do all this, move the equipment over to that field, which was 20 miles away, bale the 100 acres, stack it, load semi-trucks, about 6,000 bales and about 10 semi-truck loads of straw in three days. It really meant about two days we had for baling. But we decided to try, we had to try. We hooked up those balers. We have had two balers at this point, two commercial balers. We pulled them in the shock. We, we greased them, of course. <laughs> and then we headed over to the field, which was quite a distance away. And we got there by 11 o'clock or so, right as soon, just when the dew was starting to lift, and we started baling and we continued baling straw, two balers going, as much as we could force through them until later that afternoon, one of those balers broke down. The feeder mechanism within that baler just blew apart. 
and some of it probably had to do with the fact that we were stressing them out. We were pushing more material through them than we should have, but nevertheless, now we're down to one baler. I complained to God. I complained to God again because we couldn't get parts to fix that baler. We checked all around. It would be several days before they could air freight them in. I complained and I complained to God. Another word comes to mind, which is not appropriate to say during church. <laughs> and uh, so the rain, the deadlines, the financial concerns, and now the broken baler. It was the last straw, sorry for the pun there. So my brother and I decided I had better run the last baler because I had been doing this since I was a teenager. I could put the most th straw through that baler. And so that became my job was to try to get as much straw baled as I could in the less than a day and a half left. And so I did that. I baled that night until dark, which of course is not typical. Usually you bail until the dew comes down, which is in the evening, but this time it was warm, it was windy, the dew did not come down until very late, it was well after midnight. But even then I didn't stop bailing because I wanted to get as much through it as I could. This was just straw for mulch, just for mushroom growing, and so I kept bailing and I kept putting shear pins in, loosening the tension to keep bailing even after it was wetter than it might normally be until I frankly couldn't get any, I couldn't make the baler <laughs> work anymore. And so when it came to that point, again, this is midnight or so, after I'd put in three shear pins in the flywheel and unplugged it, I said, well, I guess this is enough. And I typically at this point would have pulled the baler up near the road, near my pickup, refueled the tractor, you know, done all those maintenance things. But I was tired, I couldn't see what I was doing, it was dark. So I just left the baler out there in the middle of the field, in the middle of this hundred acres of wheat stubble, and I walked up to my pickup and I drove home and I crashed into bed around 2 a.m. or so as I recall. Figured I'd get up relatively early, be to the field by 9.30 or so, prepare the equipment and wait till the dew came off so I could start bailing again. And that's what I did. I didn't shower, hopped in the pickup the next morning, headed right over to the field, drove into the field, filled up the tractor with diesel fuel, started putting in more twine in the baler in the back. And as I was putting twine in those boxes that hold the twine on the, they hang on the back of the baler, I was thinking that the thing I needed to do next was, well, yeah, you, you know, I needed to grease the baler. But it wasn't until that point that I realized, you know, I don't really have a portable grease gun. We had pneumatic air-powered grease guns back at home in the shop. That's usually where we greased our equipment, and we were a long ways from home, and I, it's just, frankly, in the heat of the moment and the rush of everything, I didn't think about the fact that I didn't have a grease gun. And so here I am putting twine in the baler, realizing I don't have a grease gun, but I really gotta get started baling because I have this deadline. And well, you know how important it was for me to grease my baler. And so I complained to God some more. I vented 
I vented my frustration. I said, you made it rain so long and caused this whole situation in the first place. You, God, made the other baler break down, adding even more pressure to this whole mess. And God, if this baler flies apart too, because I can't grease it, it's your fault. You're the cause of all this calamity. Kind of a bad attitude, eh? My worst prayer ever, I think. So all this is going through my head as I was putting a spool of twine in the back of the baler. And as I'm doing that, I can feel the toe of my boot hit something under the baler. I assume it's a rock or something. So at the same time I'm putting the twine in the box, I looked through that little one inch drain hole in the middle of that twine box and I could see that it was not a rock, that it was something metal. And so I reached under the baler to see what it was. I grabbed it, I pulled it out, and you know what it was? Yes, it was a grease gun. It was even full of grease and I'm standing there holding it somewhat awestruck and while I'm not suggesting that that grease gun materialized for me in this moment, even though I don't doubt God could have done that, it probably fell off another piece of farm equipment, probably off the combine when that wheat was being combined. Probably rattled off and landed there on the ground just a day or so before. But when I thought about that for a moment, about all the coincidences that led up to this point, what were the chances of stopping my bailing at that very spot that I did in the middle of a hundred acre field? What were the odds of the dew waiting so long to come down that night? Why did I continue bailing so long after the dew went down? Why didn't I move the baler up near the road the night before to replenish supplies as I usually did? What were the chances of nudging the grease gun with the toe of my boot or even seeing the grease gun underneath the baler through that one inch drain hole at the very instant I was praying? albeit complaining to God that I needed a grease gun. And I knew that I was in the presence of God in a very special way. I was humbled. The very first thing I did, and frankly, the very first thing any of us need to do if we realize we're in the presence of God is ask for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness for my attitude for my lack of faith, for my ignorance and understanding that every heavenly father, that our heavenly father is looking after everything, all of our details, all of the seemingly insignificant things in our lives in ways that we can't comprehend. Now the rest of the story is that I used that grease gun to grease the baler, of course. I kept the grease gun too, probably should have given it back to the farmer whose combine it fell from, but somehow I thought this was God's special gift to me. And so I kept it and I managed to get another very productive day of bailing out of it before it started raining again. And we delivered all but just a few tons of that contract on time, which turned out to be close enough. There were no penalties. And you probably think, this was the miracle 
the more important end of the story. And that was miracle enough, but really, for me, was finding the grease gun at that incredibly coincidental moment, exactly when I was complaining to God that I needed one. And as I think back to that time and that prayer years later now, I wonder if my worst prayer wasn't really my best prayer, why it didn't follow any of the principles of proper prayer that we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. I'll tell you this, it was totally honest. Despite my anger, despite my bad attitude, through it all, I never doubted God's ability to work things out. This experience with prayer certainly has had a profound impact on my life. And even more interesting, it continued to influence my life because I moved over to where this event occurred. I moved from our farm near Nashville over to Charlotte on Chester Road, right across from this field where this occurred. I lived there for 17 years. And every day when I'd head out to work, sometimes overwhelmed with all of the truly important details of my life, at least they seemed important to me, <laughs> and how I would get all these things done and how I would deal with this and how I would deal with that. Well, as I'm driving out my driveway every morning, I see that fence row where all that straw was stacked in the field where I found that grease gun. And it is a reminder to me that when we think God is not hearing our prayers, when we think the details of our lives are not that important and they're so overwhelming and they're insignificant to God, I remember this story and I know that God is already working out things. Already working out things for all of us in ways that we can't understand. There's a passage in Matthew, which I love, chapter 6, says, this is your loving Father you're dealing with. He knows better than you what you need. Just as we like to surprise our own children, God likes to surprise us. God's presence will surprise you. I can assure you, based on the Word of God, based on my own experiences, and whatever happens in your prayer life or in your human detailed life that seems out of control, God is in control. I can assure you that. And I praise God that we have a God that answers even our worst prayers. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for being so loving, so caring, so concerned about us that even when we are not able to pray or not able to pray properly with the right attitude, that your grace still shines through. Thank you. 
In Jesus' precious name, amen.